Right, okay. Well, I've been asked to, uh, to speak this evening on the uh, passage that's just been read. And uh, to start off with, I just want to say there's nothing worse, really, than having to speak on a subject that you know that you have a real problem with yourself. So, uh, you know, as I'm talking about this, I want you to realize that, you know, I'm not the preacher who is perfect and who's telling everybody how to live their lives when I know that, you know, I'm speaking this to myself as well. So I realize that I'm approaching this subject out of real weakness. So, uh, you know, I just wanted to make that clear right from the word go. But also to say that really the passage that's just been uh, read out is quite broad, really. And when Pads asked me to, uh, to speak on it, I thought really what I would do is just narrow it down to the first six verses. Hence the reason why I felt so uncomfortable when I was uh, preparing for this talk this evening. So... Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First, Take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet, and then turn and tear you to pieces. Do not judge, or you too will be judged. As Pad said, uh, Jesus is teaching his disciples in what we call the Sermon on the Mount. And I think it's good really to get a little bit of context to begin with because I think it's good to understand what words mean. And in verse 1, he says to his disciples, do not judge or you too will be judged. So what does Jesus mean by the word judge? Because in the Greek, uh, words have various applications and meanings. We know that as with the word love. You know, there's various kinds of love. But there's also various kinds of judgment. And uh, you might not realize this, but I'm actually fluent in Greek. So uh, I thought, you know, I'd dazzle you a little bit with my understanding of that language. But actually what I did is I looked at Vine's Concordance, which makes me look really clever, but I'm not, because anybody could do that. And uh, I thought it would be interesting to sort of like understand what the word judge means in this particular context. And the Greek word in this particular context is krino. And basically, the application for this word is really putting yourself into a position of authority in regard to others. It's basically setting yourself up as a judge over someone else. It's giving you the authority, uh, in, by implication, really, to condemn someone else. And uh, really, as, as we know, that's not our place because there is only one who can judge Because in order to judge in that way, you need to be perfect. And I don't know about you, but I don't see very many perfect people here tonight. Uh, Only God can judge. Because only God is holy. Only God is true. Only God is righteous. So therefore, we can't put ourselves in that place. Now, the thing is, this can be a little bit of a vexing sort of uh, situation. Because in elsewhere in the Bible, it tells us to judge. 
So we need to be able to differentiate between what those words mean because otherwise it may seem like there's a bit of a contradiction. But there's no contradiction because, as I said, it's basically a different application to the way that word is, is, is used. In this particular instance, crino, as I've just explained, is setting yourself up as someone who is superior to someone else and therefore condemning them. The other word is anachrono, and that's completely different. Uh, we can find that in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 15, because the Bible says that the spiritual man judges all things and is subject to no judgment. But there's a glaring difference between crino and anachrono, because basically one is the judgment of people, and the other is the judgment of things, and that's totally, totally different. In fact, it's good uh, in the, in the anachrono sense because really what that means is discernment. And as Christians, we should be discerning. We should be able to discern uh, doctrine. We should be able to discern uh, what people are teaching because we don't want to be led up the garden path. I mean, you should be discerning what I'm saying tonight and uh, asking yourself if what I'm saying has uh, got any kind of biblical integrity. So that kind of discernment is a good thing. And in fact, the Bereans were actually commended for that and regarded as noble because they listened to all of Paul's teaching and they anachronoed it. They discerned it. They really wanted to know that they weren't being led up the garden path. So I think it's good just to sort of like lay that foundation right from the word go so that we understand what words mean. So we can't judge because otherwise we'll be judged. And as I said, there's a big difference between those two things. We can judge the integrity of doctrine, but not the integrity of a person. Why is that? Because the Bible says that we too will be judged. And that's a spiritual law. Uh, It's incontrovertible. It's something that is applicable to all people. And if we turn to Romans chapter 2, we'll see why. If you've got your Bibles, we'll turn to Romans chapter 2. Let's see what it says. You therefore have no excuse, you who pass judgment on someone else. For at whatever point you judge the other, you're condemning yourself. Because you who pass judgment do the same things. Well, surely not. Because, uh, you know, obviously I'm better than the person over there. I'm more spiritual than that person. You know, he's got faults that I haven't got. But you see, the thing is, the Bible tells us that, you know, God as judge is the one who can do it because he doesn't judge on the outside. He judges the heart. He looks at what's inside a man. And the thing is with God, he looks at not necessarily the overt sin in our lives, but the possibility of it. The Bible tells us that we're all sinners and we've all fallen short of God's glory. Therefore, we're all in the same boat. And it's the reason why the cross is so powerful because it brings us all to that same place. There's no one that can look at anybody else and judge in that way because whatever we see in someone else is there in our own hearts, whether we like it or not. We might not be doing what other people are doing, but it's there nevertheless. And this offends us because we like to compare ourselves with the next man. 
And by doing that, we put down someone else in order to build ourselves up. And basically, pride is at the root. It's only God that can judge. And I think if we turn to Romans chapter 14, I'm going to get on to the bit which I think really is most pertinent to us in our situation with St. Matthew's. It says in Romans chapter 14, Accept him whose faith is weak without passing judgment on disputable matters. One man's faith allows him to eat everything, but another man whose faith is weak eats only vegetables. The man who eats everything must not look down on him who does not. And the man who does not eat everything must not condemn the man who does, for God has accepted him. Who are you to judge someone else's servant? To his own master he stands or falls, and he will stand, for the Lord is able to make him stand. One man considers one day more sacred than another. Another man considers every day alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. He who regards one day as special does so to the Lord. He who eats meat eats to the Lord, for he gives thanks to God. And he who abstains does so to the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives to himself alone, and none of us dies to himself alone. If we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. For this very reason, Christ died and returned to life, so that he might be the Lord of both the dead and the living. You then, why do you judge your brother? Or why do you look down on your brother? For we will all stand before God's judgment seat. And I think really that's, that's the crux of the matter. In, to put it in my own terms, I think it's a case of, you know, we need to mind our own business. Because, you know, we all stand before God as an individual. And I think back to that time when the disciples went to Jesus and said, Jesus, you know, there's someone who's preaching, you know, the gospel uh, in your name. Should we stop him? Because he's not one of us. They were making this kind of comparison. And I think I can sort of like see, as I relate that to the situation that we find ourselves in St. Matthew's, that that could be something that, you know, we could all fall into. Because we're in a bit of a peculiar sort of situation, really, to be honest. We've been thrown together. We come from different backgrounds, different traditions, and all the rest of it. And, you know, I must admit that there are things that, you know, St. Matthew's, you know, worship-wise that I don't quite understand. And I'm sure that there's things that, you know, we do uh, from the tradition that I come from that other people don't understand. But I had a very interesting chat not that long ago with uh, Andrew Day. I'm sure he won't mind me saying. And I really wanted to sort of like ask him, you know, what, what, what's all this sort of stuff that you do? What's, what's it all about? Because, you know, I found myself falling into that, that trap of, of judging other people for the way that they approach God. And, you know, it was really informative listening to what he had to say. And I had to come to the conclusion that really, you know, the stuff that we do in church... It's a bit like in Romans 14. It's, it's just a matter of form, really. Whether you eat vegetables or not is neither here nor there. Whether you judge one day more holy than the next is neither here nor there. What matters is that you know God. What matters is that you have a relationship with him. It doesn't really matter so much whether or not you raise your hands in the air when you sing or whether you don't. It doesn't matter whether or not you wear a gown or you don't. 
all those things are just mere formalities. And I think the thing that I, I find more and more as I get older, as I've been around church for a lot longer, I, I think I get to the stage now where I think, really, the more I thought I knew, the less I know. Because, you know, coming to St. Matthew's has been a real challenge for me. And it's made me have to sort of like reevaluate the state of my own heart. It's made me have to reevaluate, you know, how do I sort of coexist with other people? And I think it's good for people to just approach God the way that they want to approach God because it's so easy to compare. It's so easy to compare our own moral integrity with, with somebody else's based on the way they just do the outward things. And I think really the challenge for us at St. Matthew's is to be able to just bear with one another, to just be able to kind of rub up against each other and coexist and find a way of moving forward. Because the thing that I realize is that it's so easy to jump to a conclusion without really understanding where someone's coming from. And I found that, you know, there are, you know, more than one, per, or more than a couple of people really in St. Matthew's that to me are a complete anomaly. Because on the one hand, you know, they, you know, I'm not going to mention any names, but, <laughs> but, you know, there's one or two people that sort of like seem to in, enjoy, you know, the formality of the service. And yet they're people that know God. And that, that's, that's a real puzzle to me. It kind of almost offends my sensibilities somehow because there's something deep within us that wants everybody to be the same as us. There's something within us that, it's like the disciples, they wanted Jesus to rebuke this guy who was preaching the gospel just because he wasn't one of them. There's a sense that, you know, the way we do things helps to bring us together, it helps us to belong. You know, it's like, it's like being a supporter of a football team. It's, it's just that sense of belonging, and yet, being in St. Matthew's, it kind of, it, it, it challenges all of that stuff. But I believe that, you know, if we can bear with one another in love, you know, if we can try to, to follow that golden rule of to do unto others as we would have done unto ourselves, then I think God can do something really quite amazing in this place. I think God could really take what we've got here and really build something that would be surprising, not just to ourselves, but the community. You know, when, when Jesus says about, you know, the speck of sawdust, and the plank. It's meant to be ridiculous. It's irony. And his listeners would have known that. You can't fit a plank into somebody's eye. But the point is, is that if you think you can see a plank in somebody's, somebody else's eye, it's obvious that you've got one in your own. And it's so easy to be nitpicky. It's, it's all a question of getting the right sense of perspective. You know, that's what Jesus is talking about here. He's basically saying, get a sense of perspective. Just get a sense of perspective. I mean, I'll be honest with you. You know, religious people, Christian people, can be some of the most nitpicky people that I've ever met in my whole life. Sometimes I think, my goodness, get a sense of perspective. There's some things that just don't matter. I mean, for instance, let me give you a little example. When we was uh, planning the, the, thing, the thing at the Hexagon, the, the big children's event we did a few years ago at the Hexagon. Bear in mind, the Hexagon can get 1,000 people into it. So we were trying to get 1,000 people into the Hexagon. Here's a typical example. First meeting that we had to discuss this children's extravaganza at the Hexagon, we spent 15 minutes discussing the color of balloons. I mean, it was just... I couldn't believe it. 15 minutes discussing the color of balloons. In the end, I had to say, people, look... 
we've got to try and get a thousand people in the hexagon. The colour of the balloons don't really matter. It doesn't matter. And I think it's this, this whole thing of perspective. There's some things in church that just doesn't matter. We think they do because it's, it's the tradition that we're used to. It's the thing that, that we hold on to because it gives us a sense of security. It gives us a sense of belonging to something. But in the grand scheme of things, it doesn't matter. Because in the grand scheme of things, if you look at it in the broader sense, we're in a parish of 17,000 people. And some of the things that goes on in church are so peripheral and so ridiculous that it has no impact or no bearing whatsoever on the lives of the 17,000 people that live in this parish. Because the only thing that the people in this parish need to know is that there is a God in heaven who exists, who's real, who has an interest in their lives, who sent his son to die on the cross to set them free from the power of sin and death. It's the gospel message. And until the Christian community, until the Christian church starts to get that right sense of perspective, then, you know, we're going to be going around in ever-decreasing circles. And that really is the state of the church primarily in the nation today. I see it everywhere I go. It's little communities of Christians worrying about things that are so minuscule when all around them there are people dying. Not just physically dying, but spiritually dying. We live in a community and in a town and in a country, indeed, that needs the gospel message probably more than it ever did. Because I do believe that we are nearing the end of the end. We are living in the last days of the last days. I really do believe that. You only got to switch on your television set to see there's an urgency in the, in the heart of God. I mean, I don't know about you, but I pick it up. I sense it, and it frustrates me no end sometimes when I see Christians just bickering over things that don't matter, when all around us there are hurting people that need the gospel. You know, I've been, my life's been transformed by the power of the gospel. I know full well, better than, better than most people, the reality of the power of the gospel, the way it can transform life, not just sort of in all its entirety, you know, I was, I was going nowhere before Jesus came into my life. And so I realized from my own history, when I look around the people that live here, that, you know, they need what I found 20-odd years ago. And I think, really, if, if, if I was to call the church to anything, it would be to a fresh sense of perspective. A fresh sense of perspective on our calling Because we are the people of God. There is no plan B. The gospel message can only be proclaimed through us because we are the people that he's already set free. He could do it by himself, but he's chosen to do it through us. And unless we, I think, begin to start to take this seriously, unless we begin to realize the days that we live in, then there are going to be people all around us that are just perishing. And we're doing nothing. We need to start, you know, taking this on board. I know that I need to start taking it on board because, you know, I've lost my vision to to a large extent. I've lost my sense of calling. You know, I thought at one time that all my ducks were in a row, but I realized that, you know, sometimes God can take you down a route that you didn't expect to go down. I didn't expect to be here. But deep down, deep down, when everything else is stripped away, when everything is pared back, I know that the only thing that really matters is Jesus Christ. 
I know that's the only thing that matters because he's the only answer. And somehow I think, you know, there's an urgency in the heart of God where he's saying to us, St. Matthews, you know, we need to lay aside our differences. We need to put aside, you know, some of the pettiness. We need to stop worrying about, you know, the way certain things are done because in the grand scheme of things, it doesn't matter. God's not interested in, in some of that stuff. You know, Jesus came to set free sinners. That's what he's really interested in. We can't allow, you know, the traditions of man to get in the way of the truth of the gospel. We can't allow that. So let's not judge, lest we be judged. So, nearing to a conclusion, there's just this last little comment at the end. Do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and then turn and tear you to pieces. That's almost like a a kind of little aside, really. Jesus does that a lot, doesn't he? He seems to talk about something, and then suddenly there's a little throwaway comment. You think, where did that come from? What's, What's all that about? Do you want me to explain it? I can't. <laughs> I don't really know. Except, I guess, I guess, that, you know, perhaps sometimes, and I, I, I've, I think I've probably fallen into this trap more than once, especially when I first became a Christian, you know, the, 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 the wonder of, 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 the, of the cross, the wonder of being saved sometimes can just completely overwhelm you. And I remember that there were many times I used to sort of like talk to my friends, people who are in the street, in the pub and all the rest of it, and just tell them too much. You know, sometimes you can just tell people too much. There's some spiritual truths that unbelieving people can't understand. They just can't understand it because they're not in the same place. And on more than one occasion I've done that, and they can indeed turn around and absolutely rip you to pieces. Because they don't understand it. It's nonsense. It's foolishness to those who are perishing. It just comes back to the same thing. It's the gospel. And I think we've just got to find for ourselves once more the truth, the wonder, the amazing story of the gospel. We've got to be able to get to that place where it's it's good news for us again. Sometimes we, we lose a sense of that. We, we need to get back to that place where we just fall in love with Jesus. Where Jesus is the one that, you know, just captivates our hearts. And he's the reason for everything that we do. He's the reason, he's the reason why we're here in the first place. And that's why, you know, I just think with that whole thing of the sawdust and the, and the plank, you know, let's, let's get the perspective. Let's get the perspective right. And I think we can do that. And... I'm going to shut up in a minute, so I'm just going to do what Pads has asked me to do and round it off, and I'm just going to read something from... <laughs> he said, Chris, don't just, don't just stop talking and, you know, hand it over. You know, round, round it off, you know. He also, he also told me not to apologize before I started talking. He said, don't, don't apologize, Chris. That's all right. You, you can talk. Uh, I'll drop in a minute. <laughs> right, okay. Colossians. This really, I think, I, I don't know, but for me, 
perhaps this is, yeah, maybe a good way to sort of close what we're looking at. Uh, Colossians 3, verse 12 says, Therefore, as God's chosen people, you are chosen, by the way. We're chosen. That's amazing that we are chosen. Chosen by God. I mean, that in itself is just incredible. We're chosen. We're holy, not because of anything we've done, because of what Jesus has done. And we're dearly loved. So therefore, we will clothe ourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. It's the complete antidote to being judgmental. Because being judgmental is being condemnatory, and it comes from the pit of hell, really. It's, it's, it's not nice. You know, it comes from Satan, and it's, pride is at its root. Christ-like way is to be full of compassion and kindness, humble, gentle, patient, bearing with each other, and forgiving whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive, just as Christ Jesus forgave us. You know, whatever it is that anybody's ever done to us, there's no way that we can't forgive when we look at uh, forgiveness in the light of the cross. When we look at the depth of forgiveness that Jesus has given to each one of us, how can we hold unforgiveness towards anybody? You know, no matter how bad it is, I know that I've got to work through that issue. I have to work through that issue every day with, with certain things that have happened in my life. I'm not there yet, but I do know that forgiveness is the key. Let's bear with one another. You might have some grievances with some of the things that I've said, but I am what I am. I'm a little bit sort of straight. I call a spade a spade. I'm sorry. That's the way God made me, you know. But deep down, you know, despite all my faults, I love God. You know, I, love, I love God. I love Jesus. I love what he's done in my life. And at the end of the day, you know, that's all that matters. So, yeah, I've rounded it off all right, Pads. So there, end of the sermon. <laughs>